you're just like repeating what everybody else does, you're not going to be able to get anywhere. You know, like the lows are not that low. You know, the highs, so you have to be careful. They're not that high either. Like you fail way, way more than you succeed. When you hit the jackpot once, you're lucky. When you hit the jackpot twice, you're really, really lucky. But the third time it happens, you're probably onto a formula that the rest of us should pay attention to. Well, that three-peat winner is my guest today, Andre Blank. Andre's the co-founder and CEO of Fletcher, but he was previously the co-founder of Pixable, a consumer company with over 5 million users that sold to Singtel for $30 million. Andre started Pixable while he was pursuing his MBA at MIT. But before moving to Boston, Andre had already started three companies in Venezuela. The first one, a site for college students at the age of 18, and the last one, a lumber trade and exporter with over millions in revenue by the time he was graduating from university. With Fletcher, Andre and team are focused on the top of the funnel of hiring, especially with knowledge workers, basically automating the initial reach out to potential candidates for recruiters so they can focus on the stuff that they love and got them into the job in the first place. Connecting with people, identifying the kind of stuff that is not going to be available online, and making the perfect match between a candidate and a job. My conversation with Andre was far-reaching, as they often tend to be on this talk. We looked at his startup journey to entrepreneurship. We looked at some of the specific top-of-the-funnel strategies that he and Fetcher use. We took a moment to consider rebranding and company identity, and then took a look at the future of work and team dynamics, and what his multiple wins have taught him about what it takes to win. It was a conversation where Andre's deep, expertise won over multiple times playing the game really stood out. There was a lot of wisdom to be heard, and I'm excited to share a little bit of it with you. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Andre. But I want to start with Fetcher specifically, and kind of got in there. I'd love it if you share a little bit of the journey, kind of why did you start it? What specifically were you hoping to solve? And are there any pivotal moments or lessons you learned along the way? Yeah, sure thing. So uh, when I was starting Fetcher, it was just coming out of another company that I had started that had gotten acquired. And it was a very different type of company. It was like in the photo, social, and mobile space. It was a consumer app. Mm. Coming out of that, I really, I was really still passionate about uh, creating another company. I wanted to build a, a company that would last longer. You know, it had to really be aligned with a, a mission that I wanted to, you know, that, that at first, like I really understood and that I knew I was, was good at like really tackling it, that I had some sort of special insight. And uh, I would be and not have a problem spending, you know, maybe the next say, 10 years working on it. And something that I was really passionate, especially coming from another country, was this idea of connecting people to unlock opportunities. Mm. I had seen in my own career how uh, meeting the right person in the right place had changed the trajectory of my of my work. So I really wanted to see, like, can I help other people do that at scale? Mm. That was something I was really passionate about. Kind of like my DNA was really into building more like a consumer type of product. Like that yeah. was always the approach that me and my co-founder, Chris, had that we both had kind of like that consumer mindset. 
so we actually built uh, something that was more like an app. It was like in the mid uh, 2010s, like in 2016. We were building something that was more like a matching, almost like a, we were trying to think a little bit more like, can we bring in some of those components that Tinder had brought in and matching strangers to professional work? And we realized that, you know, when it comes to professional work, what really makes sense is that you have that opportunity of not just like getting randomly matched and not really knowing what to talk about, but kind of being able to reach out to somebody. So we kind of yeah. started coming out with this idea of like disappearing messages. So I would send Thomas a message. And if you wouldn't respond within a day, you know, the message was not there. So it didn't feel that I was like super mm. in your a request to try to talk or, and then what we started seeing is that you know it wasn't growing like a consumer app should grow like exponentially but we were seeing that like they there was like a really good, a strong usage happening in certain verticals and one of them was recruiters yeah and when we were speaking to recruiters they spoke to us about the problems that they had around trying to find people for their work and that's something that i understood you know having yeah. started companies before having had to hire i really had live through that problem. And what I was really surprised is that recruiters, that that's what they do full time. They don't really have time for them to come in and build a, their own pipeline of people yeah. to, for talent because they're usually distracted in areas that they're more excited about and that are more important, right? So they're giving somebody an offer, if they're yeah. doing some interviews. So that going out and trying to find people to fill their top of the funnel was something that was always in the back burner. And, and yeah. that was like really exciting because I was like, wow, like, that's a problem that I understood. And I thought that that's what you had recruiters for. And then we started seeing, you know, like even recruiters don't have time for that. So yeah. that's really kind of like what led us to the path of uh, trying to create something that was more automated for, uh, for, for, for the recruiting world. And it was still really going hand in hand with this idea of connecting people to unlock yeah. opportunities that, you know, I think it was like a really fun leap for us, like moving from this consumer world yeah. where you kind of like first have to get a lot of users. Yeah. Uh, to this B2B world where you're actually already like trying to build a product and you're already yeah. selling. So it was really a really exciting shift for us. There's this theme of like relentless curiosity around, it seems like what the data or the market is telling you and this like bold willingness mm -hmm. to kind of follow that where it goes. I'm curious, one, does that like identity of like a really curious person resonate with you? Have other people ever called that out? And if it does, where do you think that comes from? No, you know, like a curiosity, like we have our values in Fetcher and their care yeah. as C-A-R-E and the mm. C stands for curiosity. So, you know, it is something that we really value and it's not only important to see that at the founder level, you want to see the, the curiosity happening across all your company because when you're doing a startup, like you're first, you're under-resourced. The second thing is that you're also trying to do something a, a little bit different, especially in recruiting. Like recruiting is such a crowded market that if you're just like repeating what everybody else does, you're not going to be able to get anywhere. Yeah. So you do need these people who are really like, they can think outside the, the box, right? To try to think about like, so how do we deliver a better and different solution? And how do we really stand out from the crowd, right? So so for us, it's something that definitely valued. And, and you know, what, what I've seen is that being able to understand a little bit of history, which is not even necessarily very factual, but it's like a, a narration mm -hmm. of events, but it really helps you like, like really understand like at a very high scale, like all the different people that have gone through similar situations, what are the type of patterns that are repeated? You know, uh, we talk in, in startup world around this idea of failing fast. I think that when mm -hmm. you're curious, you have the ability of learning from other people's failures and, and, and failing yeah. even faster. 
like one of your earliest successes actually came back in college, right? Where you were a mm-hmm. lumber trader and exporter and you got that business to millions in revenue before you graduated. Mm-hmm. Lumber trading feels like pretty far away, like from the world of even consumer tech, right? How did you discover that opportunity? What made you feel like you were ready to take that on? And how does one get from that to consumer tech? My dad told me this crazy story around like, you know, when I was like in my 30s, this friend of mine came in and he said, oh, there's like this opportunity to plant the teak forest in the middle of Venezuela. Yeah. Uh, and he said, I invested some money there and I never saw a penny. Yeah. So I want to see like what's going on there. Do you want to go and explore that? So we went and explored it. And, you know, the plantation, uh, there wasn't really that much opportunity for us there just because yeah. there was just like, it was just a really messy situation. But I, I just got fascinated mm. with this whole lumber industry. Uh, we were able to, you know, that's how the business, like we, we, we started, mm. did like one trade with the lumber from the plantation. And then we started seeing that there was just like a huge opportunity between finding raw materials, converting it into uh, products. And as we got it like smarter and smarter about it, we were just adding more value to the raw material. And it was, you know, it was, it was a really fun experience where, you know, we were totally like learning on the fly and, yeah. you know, the key was always to, Really try to be very uh, service level oriented if, for mm. that because it was it's really hard. Could you discuss a specific setback that you faced on this journey? And I'm curious how you responded. The first one was like when I was doing the lumber thing, like we did a really big sale and then the buyer did not did not pay, right? So it was mm. ended up being like a quite like a, a huge risky thing where like we it was supposed to be a small delivery and then uh, so usually you you protect yourself and, and then at the end of it it's like oh we want a, a very large but you have to deliver it now so your eyes get bigger about the opportunity so we said yeah. you know like this is such a big opportunity so let's just over deliver a no a trusting too much and then the payment was not made and it felt very frustrating because you had done your work and you were promised some things and it's not like people are just telling you no we're not going to give you their money so it's like oh it's a week away and it never comes right i remember like just being so upset right and 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 and, kind of like completely deflated to a place where i didn't even want to do any more work anymore like what was the whole point of it and and you know like those are the type of problems that you can consider that sometimes are out of your control and you know like i remember just talking to a founder friend who was a little bit more experienced and he said look like you're not going to die from this it's important Mm -hmm. right like you work really hard you spend a lot of time in this this is you know this is kind of like a big part of your identity of course Mm. But, you know, we come also from a country where uh, this country where, you know, there's opportunity, right? And that you mm. if you work hard and you 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 trust your intellect, you know that like you're, you're going to be successful. But, you know, yeah. like but what I learned from that situation was, you know, like the lows are not that low. You know, the highs, so you have to be careful. They're not that high either. Right. So, so mm. then you kind of like learn how to take good and bad news better. It was what you said, which I think it's completely right. Like you fail way more than you succeed. But sometimes you just need to succeed just once, right? You need one company to buy you. You need one investor per round to believe in you. I'm curious how you think about the importance of branding in the context of your B2B business. What ways it's similar to the B2C world and what ways it's different? The first thing that I learned was like, I was like in, in a chat one day that like a company called Red Antler did. And something that really resonated with me is I said, like, when you're doing a B2C company, like you kind of have to think about branding really early. 
because it really matters, right? Like it's something like off the bat, you kind of like really want to come out like looking like you're super professional, whatever you want to be. And, yeah. you know, it's, and he said, like when it comes to B2B, it's a little bit different, right? Like they yeah. see it sometimes like you probably start thinking about branding after your series A, maybe your series B. Obviously, we, we always think about brand internally, but not, not necessarily having people who are like branding experts internally. So, but we were yeah. thinking about brand. Like it was funny, like our first logo, the logo that we have now, because it was really associated with a, a dog, right? Like a yeah. fetch. The idea of fetch is that we go and find the people for you. You don't have to find them for them, right? Yeah. So there was like yeah. this whole dog. And, and, you know, people kind of like got confused with the name. A lot of people said Fletcher. So, you know, it's just yeah. very confusing. So we really like like the idea of the dog uh, using as an identity. We found like this icon, which was called Network Dog. And it was like a dog that was like notes of connection. And we said, oh, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. So we bought, we bought our logo. It was an icon for $1. It was good enough, right? Because like, yeah. I feel like what, the way that we were thinking about branding back then was differentiation. We were getting into the recruiting space. It's so crowded. Like when I got into this space, like I didn't know much about B2B, right? So first yeah. I was trying to sell this. And they're like, oh, is it like this company? Is it like this company? Is it like this? Yeah. And like, oh my God, there's so many companies I've never heard heard of like this yeah. is insane most of yeah. these recruiting companies are very people oriented so it was kind of like this trying to be different like we also had this notion of being your recruiter's best friend right yeah. Yeah, because like the way that we automated is a little bit different from the yeah. way that other people come in. like most companies use pure software we have this human in the loop so this is how we could like it's very automated because of that human part so it was really yeah. trying to be different thing about Fetcher is like, as we started analyzing it and we started thinking a little bit about our ideal client, like first it's in recruiting and mm. recruiting is a predominantly a more female. So we're like really being able to have even like a, from a color perspective, like warmer colors mm. and more on the pastel side. Uh, the logo is also changing. We're also like making it look like way more professional because like now mm. the product is robust enough. And then there's like other reasons of why you're doing the rebranding that are not necessarily just that look feeling. It's like you're changing the website to become, uh, to make it like much more optimized towards SEO, or you're yeah. trying to be smarter around the type of forms that you use to capture audiences. You're using more sophisticated websites that uh, gate content so you can get yeah. more leads. But the other part is also like being more clever around how to capture people, which is like, as you get a more, for us at least, like content yeah. is super important. Some leaders think of this mm -hmm. as like, this is something the entire company needs to get behind, understand, really bleed into everything we do. Some leaders are like, this is really important, but could be a distraction to a lot of people. And so I'm actually looking to isolate the work created and run forward with it, separate from like, hey, there's how we talk about the work. Let's have the branding team do that and let everybody just focus on doing the work. Where do you land on that spectrum? I don't consider myself, yeah. I don't have the best taste when it comes to looking at something and saying, all right, this is something that looks really good or sharp. Really yeah, good. Yeah, and that's yeah. something that I give more credit to my co-founder, Chris, who's in mm. product and is like our head designer. I'll defer much more to Chris. I defer also to our marketing team. I think that it's very important that like you bring in people. That's something that you, you're an expert in, then great. But if you're not, yeah. like, you want to bring people that you really trust. And obviously, yeah. you need to ultimately uh, give your stamp of approval. And maybe there's like some things that you could watch. But I remember when we were like voting for the logos yeah. this time around, I think like 
everybody voted for the logo that won except like me like i was like yeah. first, and I, I didn't even know what people had voted i just voted for that yeah and everybody and they were like nervous about it like oh like oh like <laughs> we're, it looks like this one's it's like i don't really care I, you know like I, I think it's important that we have something that really resonates with uh, yeah people so so you know like you want to be part of the process in, mm. in a way that it's helpful because it matters and and you want the people who are working in it to know that you care One of the questions I'm just really curious about, like you guys at Fletcher have survived and worked through this shift to remote work like a lot of us. How are you adapting to this changing work environment and what role has going remote played in the world at Fletcher, if any at all? Yeah, no. So we were like somewhat remote always because we had like a New York office and we had an Argentina office and a Venezuela office. And, you know, that like kind of like obligated us to work more like in hubs. So like, yeah. you know, Argentina was a lot of engineers. So they all work together. And it's what I was yeah. like a, a lot of that human loop. So there was like some remote components. So we were pretty good already at using all these remote tools. You know, COVID happened. So we all became remote. So that was something that we just like, you know, we, we all adapted. And one of the best advantages that came from that it was a you know being able to hire people that were super talented in mm. much more remote locations and then being super excited about the work. So you're like, wow, this is like such an unlock. And especially like, yeah. Fetcher, like like Fetcher is is for that, right? So we were like yeah. using our tool and hiring great people. But you know, like now that you know we're coming into a year where like it's a more challenging market where the market yeah. has changed, really. Like the demands yeah. have changed. You know, like we're not humming anymore, right? Like, like mm. we went from like two years of like, let's just keep doing what we're doing to like, hey, let's just put a stop here. Let's think a little bit about what's happening and how do we yeah. have to adapt to these changes. And I think that's where remote gets really hard, right? And, yeah. and you know, the way that we complement that is like a, we meet in person, the, the leadership team almost every month. We do these uh, daily standups. Uh, and when we have these standups, we're not talking about, oh, I have uh, one one later today. No, yeah. <laughs> we're talking about what are the big project, you know, like I, yeah. I think that we're doing good. But, you know, I would say that ultimately, like if you are a founder and you want to start a company soon, I don't know. If I would be starting another company again from scratch, I would probably start by having it in person again. Mm. And then I would probably move. Uh, like maybe when you're starting to grow, maybe you start considering doing more stuff uh, remotely. But there is like something important about having people in person for that collaboration. Especially, you know mm. why? Because like when things are not going as expected, we're not hitting the numbers that you had initially. You need to have very hard conversations. You need mm. to question everything. Mm. And mm. when people are not in person and you're just doing these Zoom meetings and you have a tough call and then you hang up, feelings are hurt. And then people are less comfortable talking about things that are not working. So it's just like a really like it's, it's it can be like a very negative side. You just mentioned very clearly, like, look, ideally, especially when you're starting, if you can be in person, I think you're going to have an edge. Are there any things you've learned about in a remote world when you have to be in one, mm -hmm. having difficult conversations over Zoom that allow you to balance both not shying away from the facts, right? Like doing what you need to do, but minimizing kind of this like extended fallout from like the lack of context and like human interconnection that usually slows things down. Like anything where you're like, oh, now I do this. And like, I'd have never thought to do that. Or like, that doesn't matter in person, but but it really does for me now. Yeah, for sure. So look, like when you have an area that requires close revision and mm -hmm. it requires us to be like talking very critically around something that we're going to probe and that we're going to try yeah. to change, 
best way to do it is to create like a forum or like a very like place that is created for that conversation, right? So mm. I'll give you an example. Let's say that we have we find a flaw in something in the product, right? And it's something that requires us like really questioning the functionality of the product. It requires us asking the customer success person or the enabling person, are you doing this? Are you doing that? Mm. So like what you do is that you kind of like create like like some sort of a project, right? And you're like, hey, mm. you know, we're trying to fix this. And and then you know, you create the situation where you can have mm. these conversations around like what are the things that are working. What are the things that are not working, right? And, yeah. and you use that part there, right? And then, you know, like there's going to be things that happen. But but then at least like there's that place where you're coming in yeah. and maybe you make this uh, a recurring meeting until yeah. you kind of like solve that issue. You come in, you come in it with like a problem. You're coming in with a solution and action items. And even so, like feelings still get hurt. Sometimes yeah. what's helpful is finding a person that's a good, you know, some people have a head of people. Some companies yeah. don't have that. But finding that person that's a little bit in the middle that can like when something like when a hard meeting happens, they're kind of like trying to capture the post, how everybody's doing, everything is okay. And just making sure that like there is like some some of that water cooler post conversation. You're trying to simulate that with just kind of like a check in or something like that. You got to make sure you're trying to fix the problem, not fix the people. But so as we look ahead, what gets you most excited or gives you most hope about where you see the industry going or with the future of work? Why does that get you excited? And how, if at all, does Fetcher fit into that? What's happened since I started this company was that like we've been like in this like slow and just like move towards automation, right? Like people, they want it. And now what happened in the first cycle of COVID where there was no recruiting, then a Mm. recruiting came back very hard. There weren't enough recruiters in the team. So there was like a a huge wave of uh, automation. It's going to happen again, right? Like recruiting teams are smaller. Mm. And they are trying and still trying to do more with less. What I see is like what is changing in terms of the behavior of recruiters. So what I'm seeing is that recruiters are going to have to be very comfortable with automating core parts of their work, things that were part of the things that they were like, there's no way I'm going to automate this. Like now they they have to. And and we fit in really nicely there because like if you think about what we do is this idea of helping you build your own funnel, right? Your own talent pipeline. You're like, whoa, this is like so private, right? This is something that I do. And some people actually are really good at it. And then, you know, like, I think that there's like a, a lot of things that's happened in the last like six months in generative yeah. AI that is very promising. I think there's like a lot of things that are not scalable yet and yeah. that are not going to work as expected. So like when I think about our world, which is like finding people, engaging with them, candidates are going to be more used to like, oh, is this email sent by a robot or is it sent by a person? Like yeah. that's going to just become a little bit more blurry. The world that I ambition and, and you know, you being a recruiter is that, Thomas wakes up in the morning, yeah. gets his coffee, and he's like, okay, what's up for today? He's like, oh, look at all these interviews that you already have for all these different roles, right? Yeah. And you're not really stressed around finding people. You're just really in it to connect with people, to yeah. have a good conversation, to get information that is not online, to see if that person is a good fit for your team and getting them excited, right? Yeah. So, so I think that that's like what recruiters is the world that they want to live in. We're not there yet. So, so that part is super exciting. And, and what keeps me excited, even in, in these years and years like this of these uh, cycles that you mentioned. 
I'm struck by the clarity of your future world. It gives me a lot of confidence in, in you and your team's ability to get there. But as we come to a close, I'm, I'm curious, as you reflect back on your journey and you think back to kind of Andre in college, kind of kicking up and starting out, what are one to two pieces of advice that you feel like you really want to give those people? Similar to most things in life, everybody's journey is different. You're you're coming Mm. from different places. What I think it's very important is that you have to look inside and know where you're really good at and where do you really stand out and where you can make a difference, right? Like not everybody can uh, build a rocket that goes uh, to the moon. I consider myself a person who is a somewhat technical but I know that there's like, it's, there's so much that I just, it, it just goes beyond. I think it's very important for you to really understand, you know, what are you really good at and where you're coming from to decide how to start. The second thing is like, people are really, people fall in love with their ideas. And I, and mm. you know, most of these are actually not bad, actually good, but you, you then uh, don't share them. If they stay in your head, they're going to be in this beautiful shrine. But yeah. as soon as your idea it gets out there, like it gets criticized, it gets scrutinized, start from a place of openness. Like it's mm. very hard for people to steal uh, your ideas, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so you have to be very open and then you have to be very criticized. And the more you are open, the more you try to like almost like sell something without having it, you know, yeah. going back to that lean startup thing that I really believe. To some extent, I believe in some things that you have to be like, you have to, once you do something, you have to do it well. Like there's so many people that want to start a company. And then what happens is that, you know, you just like get stuck in this idea or you just spend like a few tens of thousands of dollars building a product. And then you don't know how to release it. Like the hard part is not building stuff. That's, Mm. that's the fun part. That's what everybody wants to do, but that's not the hard part. The hard part is getting a client, whatever Mm. it is. And, and, and I think that like the more you start, there where mm. with the client versus start with the product yeah uh, which you know like i i i don't think it's like the the most refreshing or never heard advice ever but yeah. i think that I, I still see that being like the number one mistake that people do like i'll have somebody yeah. telling me like oh i want to do like a google for insurance and i'm like right <laughs> like what, what does that even mean and then they like explain you like 25 different things that they wanted to do and you're like all right yeah. all right like try to like sell something to somebody like who's your most obvious sometimes like w- the way that i start this too is like yeah. who's like the person who would buy it? it's like tell me the name of the person who you're sure that would buy it from you and they're like this yeah. they always know all yeah. right sell it to that person and if you can't sell it to that person then you probably don't have something right like mm. that you know, like, mm. and, and i think that that's like a most of people don't follow this advice they just can't because mm. going to the market is so scary and they always think mm. no it's just because it's not perfectly defined yeah it's not true so, so so i think that that's like it takes courage i think you just yeah. have to have a lot of courage to, to be rejected and, and people just want to build something and think that it's like mark zuckerberg that when he built facebook that he didn't have to do anything that everybody was just yeah. coming in and they were dying to join but that's like just not that's not the common use the, the common use is like nobody cares and you have to just get in front of people until they care, yeah. you know? So, so I think yeah. that's like a number one thing. So number two thing I would say is like, find your people. I feel like when you're like in university, mm. when you're just starting in your career, it's like a very beautiful moment for you to like meet people that are your age that are driven as you 
that are going to grow in your career with you. Maybe you have mm-hmm. an opportunity to not only go through people who are your peers, but also people who are like five, 10, 15 years ahead of you in their career. Yeah. And that you really admire. So like I started, I, I never had a job and, you know, as an immigrant that came yeah. here, I feel like that there was like a big disadvantage to that uh, too, yeah. where I think like learning curves for some things just take longer uh, being able to really identify talent really quickly for something takes longer. Yeah. I think like uh, in, in learning how a company operates, you know, I, I didn't have sometimes that visibility for a lot of people. I think that's like a winning solution, like finding mm. your, your group of peers. It wouldn't be an episode of Venture Visionaries without our recurring segment, Spoken Stories. The moment where we go beyond our conversation with the founder to hear from the people around the organization who make it hum. This week, I'm talking exclusively to Fetcher customers, who is a pretty excited bunch when it came to hearing about the product. Without further ado, here's what some of them had to say. What surprised me the most about working with Fetcher is the quality of candidates that I'm getting um, and the personal touch. It's almost like Fetcher has a team of its, like their own in-house team of recruiters that were, you know, recruiters um, in the past. So they know exactly what kind of profiles to look for. When kicking off a search, Fetcher is able to give us great candidates within days of starting. And that's been fantastic for our team because you have this helping hand that's keeping up the momentum, that's bringing you constant candidate flow in the background. It's like having a magic little helper. For anyone who has actually never done sourcing themselves, it is a huge weight off of our shoulders to be able to have Fetcher because um, I've tried to do it kind of on my own and just seeing the amount of time and just like all of the um, dead ends that I end up uh, reaching out to has made me appreciate Fetcher more than ever. Fetcher's search algorithms were incredibly effective, especially as we finessed them over time in identifying all kinds of high-quality candidates outside of my network. You can put in five, six, seven keywords. Like, say we want somebody that's worked on phased array beam forming of ultrasonics and also knows biophotonics and maybe some firmware and has um, a background where they really understand like holographic interferometry. And so uh, we put those in and you guys send us 10 candidates in the first week and another 10 candidates. What we were looking for is we were looking to identify um, investment managers um, who are either based in India or based in Southeast Asia. Um, Two areas that I have not recruited in before, ever. (laughs) So I needed a partner who could um, kind of reach into new markets um, and identify talent for us. Um, And Fetcher was able to do that for us. I think it's incumbent on every executive team to try to hire diverse candidates. And Fetcher does a phenomenal job of surfacing that needle in a haystack candidate who you otherwise wouldn't have heard of. Um, And they do it in a scalable way. It would be unaffordable for companies to try to build out that sort of robust pipeline without Fetcher. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. You know, I started Venture Visionaries because I recognized that when I was starting in the world of venture, my idea of who could do it, what they looked like, what their profile was, the kind of problems they were excited to solve, 
was far too limited. And in hindsight, I realized that that's exactly the limitation that keeps too many brilliant voices outside the world of venture. And so as we close this week, I hope that you've been left a little bit more inspired to dream your own dream, whether that's in venture or anywhere else, and to see where that takes you. I'm Thomas. Have a great week.